I'm sick of theology and words. We need God to move in our midst. Oh, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, Lord, don't stay there. Come down here. The one thing that alarms me in America and England is that there is no alarm in the church. You say America needs God. No, she doesn't. The church needs God. If the church gets God, America will soon feel it. She'll be staggering. A preacher said something the other day that's very disturbing to an audience that he was addressing. He said, I want to tell you that if God withdrew the Holy Spirit from my church today, it would function tomorrow the same way we wouldn't even know he'd God. And methinks that might be written of many churches in that we become so mechanical. We go in at 11 and come out at 12 and the Holy Ghost must come when we open the door of the church and he must leave when we lock it. And we try and lay down the track and say, come Holy Ghost, for thee we call spirit of burning, come, but come our way. We've laid down the conditions. Holy Ghost, come, but please don't violate our theology. Don't upset our status quo. Don't break our hearts over the lost world. Oh, yes, yes, preachers. You and I will raise our hats to Finney and Gould. And we raise our hats to the martyrs. And we thank God for the last drop of their blood. But we won't give him the first drop of ours. I can't live another day without the fire of God consuming me everything that's unchristlike, consuming me everything which hinders surrender everything. That's revival. When you can't sit through the meeting, you feel you've got a burning cancer. If I don't get to the cross now, I may die before the meeting's over. Every preacher who has lost the fire, you should be on your face down here. You used to burn, but you got so busy with organizing, the fire has gone out. Come on! You can't patch up your prayer life when you get to the judgment seat. You can't sacrifice when you get to the judgment seat. You can't weep when you get to the judgment seat. It's all between here and there. Listen, if our God is a consuming fire, and He is, if He takes up residence in you, you'll burn till you die. God needs a torch of holy fire in your house. He wants a fire in you to read the word of God to your family. He wants the fire of God your neighbors will know. I can't live in coldness anymore. I can't live in blindness anymore. I can't be indifferent to a dying world. Yes. Glory. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. When we closed with that video last week and we had our prayer time, many of you came and you prayed here at the altar. Some of you just prayed fervently in the seat where you were at. And I do believe that the Lord God Almighty saw your prayer, saw your desire to know more of Him and to be revived. I mentioned last week to you the man that you just heard, Leonard Ravenhill, was instrumental in my life for waking up these dead bones. Not that I knew him personally other than a phone call to him, but he as well as many other revivalists as they were known brought a quickening to many of a congregation and many of a camp meeting, many of a special meeting that was maybe called. There's a role and a place for the prophet. And a prophet isn't always one who foretells the future. We think in terms of that in Scripture. 
But a prophet is one who speaks on behalf of God to the people. A priest is someone who speaks to God on behalf of people. But the prophet is one who brings that word of God to our hearts. And that word of God is based upon the word of God itself in Scripture. But sometimes it's a timely word that's needed. A timely word for maybe your life. A timely word maybe for a church. A timely word for a nation. And as I've walked further into what we started last week, which was this series with the title that Leonard Ravenhill has of one of his um, books, Why Revival Tarries. I am uh, mindful that the Lord wants to speak to me, but he wants to speak to you a specific word with where you're at in your life and where your family's at, and that there's a need for a prophetic word. And me knocking at the knees sometimes going, and, and God, you're planning on me being an instrument of that during this series of messages on why revival tarries? For you see, I feel totally inadequate to be able to awaken anybody from being spiritually flatlined. Even though we're called the awakening church and we say, you know, people awakening people to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission. Yes, but we are totally at loss to see a dead person come to life spiritually. And so I appreciate the prayers on my behalf. And where God's taken us today, maybe as a result of some of your prayers for me trying to work our way through. But what God's called us to today is a passage that I hadn't put on my list. And he said, no, I need you to pause. And I need you to drop back into this Old Testament passage, this Old Testament vision from a prophet. And we're going to be looking at that. But... The overall desire of the movement of this series on why revival tarries for a personal awakening and a revived church in a dying world is that we will do as the psalmist had declared in Psalm 85.6, which was very simple. Will you not revive us again, God, that your people may rejoice in you? Because revival and awakening in your personal life as well as in our nation is not for the sense of putting you in a straitjacket and ruining your fun and making you some religious geek. It's not. It's for you to become revived, to be able to rejoice before the Lord in being who God's made you to be. And if I ever get upset, I always get upset at Satan. Sometimes I get upset at people, and then I realize that people are not my enemy kind of thing, and I have to work my way through it. But I get upset at Satan for stealing the joy out of people's life and stealing the purpose out of people's life and getting them sidetracked and heading down dead-end roads. And I don't know where you're at today spiritually in your own personal life. Maybe you're doing pretty good. Maybe you're indifferent. But I get indignant when I see people not enjoying what God intended for them to have to be spiritually alive. So they, these series of messages, even though like someone like a revivalist like Leonard Ravenhill can be very convicting and, and sounds like, man, is this the, the ultimate goal here is for us to move from our present condition spiritually and even in our life, where we're at, and move us to a place of joy and strength. Because that's not the trajectory that the adversary wants to put you on, and that's not the trajectory that your sinful nature will pull you. It will pull you into destruction, into indifference, pour, pull, your, pull you into boredom. It will pull you into, sometimes, even evil. 
But through it all, it'll pull you into brokenness. And it's in that brokenness that God himself wants to reach us down and through the prophetic word to be able to call you out, to raise you up and to rejoice. And so that's our prayer. I mentioned last week that the answer to why revival tarries can be varied. And I've been trying to think through exactly what ones of these aspects that God's brought to my heart might be before us. And last week I gave reference that uh, one of the reasons revival tarries, a renewal, an awakening in our own heart personally, why revival tarries in a church is because there's a lack of spiritual hunger. Any of you ever been famished? Maybe some of you are famished this morning and you can't even concentrate right here now. It's like, how long is he going to go so I can go eat, right? But we've been in places where we've been famished. But how about you being famished spiritually? Appreciate what Melissa shared this morning and, and leading us in worship. And, and we just need to have a hunger to want more. And so that was the question. Do you ever pray this statement? Is this statement ever a part of your life? Lord, there must be more. And that's indicating a spiritual hunger. So why revival tarries? There's a lack of spiritual hunger. Seeing your hunger last week, seeing your hunger even this morning, some who came out for our prayer time at 930, that's really encouraging. Not just to me, it's encouraging to God. He wants to see his people hungry to know him. And so again, that question comes before you, Lord. There must be more. Is that, a, is that a statement in your own life? But I mentioned a couple of others last week as it related to this aspect of why revival tarries, and that is there's a lack of fervent prayer, and there's a lack of deep repentance, and some of those things God's maybe been touching on in your own life, which is great, and, and I planned on jumping into those today, except I had this check in my spirit related to this idea of hunger and really what needs to be addressed on the heels of that. And so this is what I want to exhort us to today, that why revival tarries sometimes is because there's a lack of divine belief. What do I mean by that? Not that you don't believe in God, but that you lack, and I lack, and the church lacks a belief that God can bring life where there is deadness. Things will never change. I'm always going to be this way. Have you ever noticed as people age, they can go of one of two directions? I think they can become more grace-filled and appreciative in life, or they can become more cantankerous. I won't ask you to raise your hand as to which way you're moving. But it's easy to become cantankerous, to become jaded, to become indifferent, to become set in your ways and say, well, this is just my personality. It's who I am. And I'm like, what? Lord, I want more of you. If that's really your statement, then you would believe that God can renew you and change you and make you someone that's able to be able to, to hear Fresh words from him and for his power to change your life. Do you lack divine belief? And maybe the reason you're set in your ways and not changing is because you've given up hope. You've asked God to change you before. You've asked God to give you a visitation. You've asked God to show up in a situation or circumstance and he never did. And so you've just sort of shelved the spiritual stuff. Maybe he got hurt by a church. Maybe he got hurt by another Christian. I don't know what it may be. But it's just, you know, this is where I'm at. And I'm on cruise control. Don't bother me. Don't bring those Raven Hill prophetic words. I'm good. You can stay in that disposition. But God's got so much more for you. He wants to revive you and restore to you the joy that you would rejoice and he wants to give you some dimensions in your life, not just spiritually, but lifestyle. And as you interrelate to other people, places you've never been. And so maybe it's a lack of hunger. Why revival tarries in your life? But maybe you might have some really good reasons. Just don't believe God's going to come through. 
You just don't believe that his power is there. That deadness is set in. Your life, it's set in the church. It's set in our nation, and it's just not going to change. We mentioned last week a couple of words of Jesus in the last book of Revelation were words to church. And the church uh, in Revelation had some uh, issues going on. And he said to the church, to the church in Sardis, I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but he called them out. You are dead. And then he said to the church at Laodicea, you say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need anything, but you do not realize how you are wretched. You are pitiful. You are poor. You are blind. You are naked. These are shocking words, last kinds of words in one sense of Jesus to his church. And maybe those are words you've taken to heart. You know there's deadness. You know you need to be more hungry. But you know there's also a lack of belief. So there you sit this morning. There you sit during the week. There you drive during the day on that commute that you always do. Same old, same old. The adversary and his workers just fanning you to sleep, settling for where you're at. And what I've said before God in my own life, for us as a church, and even as I wrestle with the issues for our nation, no, wake me up, strengthen me, strengthen us as a body. We want more. God, you are able. And so if you got your scriptures today, what God's led me to do is go back to an Old Testament prophet. So let's hear a prophetic word from one of the Old Testament prophets. And if you've got your scriptures, we're going to turn to the book of Ezekiel. It's the last time you read through the book of Ezekiel. Maybe you've never read through the book of Ezekiel. And the book of Ezekiel is a pretty familiar kind of story. And this story, uh, I remember hearing when I was a real little boy. And I was a real little boy many, many, many years ago. My uh, family was clearing out my mom's house some, and they sent me a box this week with some pictures. And in the box was another bag with a little outfit in it. My mom had saved the very first outfit she ever put on this little boy named Carrie D. Bowman. I thought that was a little weird. My wife thought it was so precious and dear. She said she was going to frame it. And I'm like, what? Why would you frame this little outfit, right? Many, many years, but I go back to that house where that little outfit was that I received in the mail this week. And I remember lessons being taught by my parents scripturally. And I remember a particular song that they had on one of the albums. You know what an album is? A vinyl album? Some of you do. But, you know, that was before, before the MP3s, before the CDs, before the cassettes, before the eight tracks, right? We're moving all the way back to these vinyl. I guess they're sort of in vogue pretty cool the other day. My oldest son got himself a, a, a vinyl record player, and it's in his house, prominently positioned as a retro thing. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. But they had these albums, and, and one of these albums had a song related to this story that we're going to look at. And the story had to do about death, but it also had to do about death being brought through transformation into life. What was the song? I might share you the words in a little bit, but... It was a song called Damn Bones, Damn Bones, Them Dry Bones. Anybody hear that song? And the story we're looking at is Ezekiel. Ezekiel and the dry bones, the valley of the dry bones. So if you'll take your scriptures with me to Ezekiel 37, we are going to look uh, at this uh, vision, this happening that God brought the prophet Ezekiel into. And it says this, the hand of the Lord was on me. 
And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of dry bones. Now, where I grew up in those years, we didn't have a lot of valleys. We definitely didn't have a death valley, right, uh, that's near here. Uh, we had a lot of fields, right, and we get rains. But I've learned to embrace the idea of valleys, especially that I live in a valley here, but it's not like I said death valley or some other kind of valley, but valleys and deserts can get really dry. And even though the ATVs and other kinds of fun you can have in the desert, that's all sweet. That's not where I imagine I'd want the Lord to take me. There's some other more uh, paradise kinds of places I'd like to vacation in. But God took Ezekiel to the valley. He took him to a valley, and in the middle of this valley, it was full of bones. It was full of bones. Can you picture this? I don't know. Maybe we have a picture of it. Maybe not. We had some challenges, but not. We're going to show it later on that there is this vision he has of bones in a valley, and God's brought him there for a prominent place. Of, 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 as a prominent place to speak into his life and into the nation of Israel. It says this in verse 2 then, he led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. These weren't just bones, they like were really, really dry bones. Have you ever found yourself in a place where maybe circumstances are going really bad or there's other challenges that are going on in your life and, and there's a, a chaos that's around and, and you don't think there's any help to get out of this situation, this predicament, and you feel alone, you feel isolated and you've tried to talk to some other people, but they can't relate and you try to look to the future and the future doesn't seem to have many options that are very good and, and you're just there in that place in life and it's facing you right in front of your eyes. That, my friends is a place of dry bones, a place where you're desolate, a place where you're alone, a place where there is a lack of life and hope, dry bones. And so Ezekiel was taken there by the Lord, and he said, not just look, oh, that was sort of nice, I'm out of here. No, I want you to walk around among them, back and forth, and look at the bones. Sometimes I can get accused of being a little bit sickly, that kind of thing. But I, I've liked walking through cemeteries before and just reading names and how long they lived. And maybe if there was some other kind of... It's like, and it's like why do you want to think about that? Well, I'm like, well, it's, it's outside of Jesus' return. We're all headed there, right? And sometimes it's just a, a sacred kind of place, especially if it's a cemetery that has loved ones that have gone on before you or family members. But this was like an open grave cemetery walk. And there are the bones. And I'm sure that was scarring in one sense to Ezekiel. And God was telling him that he lived among a people that were dry. You see, he was a prophet for the nation of Israel. And Israel had been taken captive by the Babylonians. They had been exiled out of their homeland. And so this prophecy comes at this time when the Israelites were desperate. They were doubting that God would ever work. There was dryness. But their situation that they were in was a direct result of their spiritual deadness and not waking up prior. And so God's giving this prophetic word to Ezekiel. And it's a word about the need for us to see a revived church in a dying world, but also for us to be spiritually awakened from the dry valley of bones that you and I might be living in right now. Some of you are tired of walking around the valley of your bones. You're tired of trying to figure out if there's ever going to be hope in the situation. You're tired of somebody asking you the question, well, hey, how's it going with the... 
No movement. If you're in a place that's a valley of dry bones, this prophetic word to you today is one that can bring you hope. But in this valley of dry bones, God, he had a question. And so he brought this question to the prophet Ezekiel in verse 3. In verse 3, he says, Jesus, or God, ask me, Ezekiel, son of man, which that's what he was as a prophet, can these bones live? Can these bones live? What would you say if you were walking around that valley? You know, I, we have some connections to a mortuary here, England's mortuary, and uh, Greg, who was on the guitar up here today, he, he said, you should have let me know in advance that you were speaking on this. I could have brought in some bones for you. <laughs> I'm like, well, I, I hope that that's not necessarily true, but he was kidding and, and, and jabbing me some, and I'm thinking, that wouldn't have been good. I like reading about the bones, I like being a little distant from the situation Ezekiel was in. But if there were bones that were brought and placed on this table and God came to me and said, Pastor Kerry, do you think that those bones can live? You know what my answer would be? I don't think so, man. None of it's dependent on me. You think about that reality of what Ezekiel, he'd been walking back and forth. There wasn't just a few bones, there was a lot of bones. There were skulls and there, there were, uh, you know, femurs and there were other kinds of foot bones and you could see the hand bones scattered. Some, and, and, and God said, Ezekiel, can these dead bones live? And Ezekiel, he came back with a good answer. And his answer was, Sovereign Lord, you alone know, you alone know if these dead bones can live. So you take your place where you're at in your valley of bones. Maybe you're in a current situation where you're in the valley of the bones. Maybe God brought you out of a situation where you were a bunch of bones. Or you were in a valley of some bones in a situation. And, and the question comes, can these dead bones live? And if God's brought you out of it, you might say, yeah, those dead bones can live. If you're in the middle of that situation right now, you might say, I don't know, I don't think so. But if you're a person who not only has a hunger for spiritual revival, but you have a strong divine belief, belief in the power of God who created every bone, then you would turn to him and probably say, as Ezekiel said, Sovereign Lord, only thou knowest. Why? Because God is the one who gives life to deadness. And so he deferred to him. He didn't know what was going to happen in this vision or this place, whichever one it was that he was taken to, this valley of dry bones, if it was a situation where God could bring life to him. But he said, Lord, you know, you know. You know, the Dead Sea in Israel is the lowest place on all of earth. 1,300 feet below sea level. I think Death Valley is like number four. The Salton Sea here is in the top ten list as well. Is that there's these low places in the contours of this globe. And nothing gets out of it. It just sort of ends right there. And so Ezekiel was probably taken to that kind of area. That place, maybe down by the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea. Why? Because... <clears throat> there's no fission, there's no life in it, it's a, a salton sea. And maybe in this situation, Ezekiel had every right, he had every right to just walk away from it. But he stayed there in the valley. He stayed there in the valley and he deferred to God as a prophet he had a divine belief that God could raise these bones to life again. <clears throat> I 
We'll pick up. <coughs> Excuse me. With that particular scene. But I want to ask you, where do you go when you're in the Valley of Dry Bones? Well, I just sort of go in my room and sit in my depression. I get on Facebook and try to give some type of passive aggressive type of post that lets people know that I'm not in a good place and maybe they'll contact me. I go to my friend and I just puke all over them. Not food, but verbal words about <coughs> my situation. What do you do when you're there? Well, I want you to know that if you're seeing the Valley by Dry Bones and you're in it, you need to be able to go to the sovereign God. And that's what needed to happen. That's what needed to happen in the life of the people from Israel. They needed to go to God. They needed to go to God and not turn to the ways of their past. Because the God who created the bones is also the God of revival. And he can bring life where there is death. When I look at our nation as it relates to revival, I have to ask myself, do I believe these dead bones can live? We talked about it last week a little bit with the first and second great awakening that happened in our nation. There were other awakenings that, that have happened in some of those just regionally kind of areas. But sometimes we wonder, well, things are just getting worse in our nation or worse in our church, and I don't know that those dead bones can live. When we begin to pray to God for revival, we need to be hungry as a people, hungry as a church, hungry as a nation. But we also need to have a belief in the divine power of God to bring transformation. God let Israel go for a long, long time. They weren't just bones. They were very dry bones. I don't know how long God will let this nation go. It's up to him. Or how long God will let the church go. As Leonard Ravenhill said, his buddy said, you take the Holy Spirit out of some churches and the next week nothing would have changed because they weren't dependent on the Holy Spirit anyway. God may say, America, you need to just continue to go that direction because you're not dry enough yet. Because you see really, really, really dry bones are a result of a really, really long Disobedience sometimes. But sometimes God wants to let things get to such a desperate dying level that people will realize that it's only God's power, His divine ability, His divine love that brings life. And so when I pray for our nation, when I pray for the church, when I pray for our church, I'm saying, Lord, how long will we go on in this valley of dry bones? And sometimes I don't know what the word is. He may say, well, are you desperate enough? Are you ready? And I think this very prompting of the Lord for me to share on this, to go even to a passage like this today, which was typical of some of the... <laughs> prophetic words that needed to happen to the nation of Israel, which was quite rebellious, you know, when you sort of set God aside and you pursue other idols and they were pursuing other idols that saying, God, well, maybe you're one of many, but you're not the main one. There's other things in my life I want to pursue. You, you go down that pathway of setting God aside and, and there's idols and it turns to evil and the sin. There's this trajectory that moves people into dryness and barrenness. And that was so true of Israel time and again. And I don't know what's true of our nation. They say, well, we were born a Christian nation. I don't necessarily believe that, but we were born with a belief for freedom of religion to be able to pursue God. But somewhere, even that freedom seems to be 
compromise today or there's so many other distracting things. We looked at some diagrams last week about the decline of people who would claim that they are part of a Christian kind of belief. Is you know, fallen from 90% back in just a, a couple decades ago to what's in the 60s and 70% today and where might it end up being. We don't know what path we're on. We don't know how dry these bones have to get. But I want to exhort you as a believer in Jesus Christ if you're here today, do you believe that these dead bones can live in America? And do you believe that these dead bones can live in the evangelical church? Or are you just slipping away with them too? Because your hope and your rejoicing is found in a revived spirit that's fully alive in Christ and to His mission. And that's our calling today. And so you walk among dry bones. Maybe it's in your life. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your concern and grievance and concerning the nation. But do you believe that these bones can live? The chapter before the chapter of 37 was a chapter of encouragement in one sense from Ezekiel. In chapter 36, you can look at it on your own as it relates in 16 through 38. But let me just read a few verses out of uh, 36, beginning with 24. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. You see, Israel had been scattered in all these different places as a result of the sin of Israel and the Babylonian captivity. And God said, I will bring you back. Verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and I will put in you a new spirit. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I will give your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call you, call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds and you will loathe yourselves for your sin and your detestable practices of the past. I want you to know that I am not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord. He was doing it for his own glory. But he said, be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, people of Israel. So the prophetic word about life to this desolate people that were in Babylonian captivity was God will say, I will restore you. I will bring you back as a people. But you need to know I'm doing it for my sake and for my glory. And you need to remember how you got to where you are. So that's preceding this vision of Ezekiel as he's walking around in the valley of dry bones. As we look at our own life and we look at our nation, and you may find yourself in a valley today, you need to understand something that's critically important in your life. And it's this, that our spiritual situation is directly connected to our personal circumstances and our social dilemmas. Our spiritual foundation in our life, in our church, and in our nation has a direct correlation. It's connected circumstantially to what's happening. You may say, well, Carrie, my circumstances of why I'm in the dry bones or why this nation's in the dry bones, really, is it directly back to spiritual? Yes, there is spiritual connection between the two. Because you can be in a valley and you can have walking among bones of other people, but be fully alive. Do you connect those two in your life? What's going on spiritually with you right now? And could it be the lack of something going on spiritually with you right now is directly connected to your personal circumstances or the social dilemmas that you're just tired of? Verse 4, Valley of the Dry Bones. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Where does he tell Ezekiel to start? 
I don't know, maybe I can put this one together with that one and do a little bit of that, or maybe I can call in somebody who knows something about this kind of business. He says, I want you to preach to these dry bones. All right. <clears throat> I'm glad that you're all gathered here today. It's good to see you. But you all look a little dry. Y'all look a little dead. Now, believe it or not, there are Sundays I stand up here and I think that. <laughs> not that there you're too much dry or dead, but you're distracted and what's going on and, you know, what's the schedule here? I have an appreciation for Ezekiel standing in front of these dry bones and trying to preach to them. But what he preaches to them isn't some niceties or some spiritual how, I mean, or, or some uh, uh, psychological how-tos or feel-good points, what does he do? He preaches the Word of God. And so that's his first step, is to preach the Word of God, the truth of Scripture to these bones. And so he's standing in front of them. He's given this word of declaration. He's maybe got some scrolls he's pulling out and given some words of God's faithfulness and his calling. But he begins to preach. And then what does he say? Happens next. It's recorded this way. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. He said to begin with the Word of God. And so Ezekiel began by preaching the Word of God. And if I could encourage you today, if you're in a dry and desolate place, this book is pretty important for you. You may go, that's hard to read, or I can't know where to read at. Well, find someone, get some help, call me, let's talk about it. Because this can give you some life. Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together. The bones came together bone to bone. I looked and the tendons and the flesh appeared on them and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Now, that song that I had as a kid growing up, them bones, them bones, them dry bones. Ezekiel, if you know that song, it says, now hear you with the, hear you the word of the Lord. It says, and the head bone connected to the neck bone, the neck bone connected to the shoulder bone, the shoulder bone connected to the back bone. Now hear you the word of the Lord. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones, them bones, them bones, them dry bones, them bones, them bones, them dry bones. Now hear you the word of the Lord and the backbone connected to the Hip bone, hip bone connected to the thigh bone, the thigh bone connected to the knee bone, the knee bone connected to the shin bone, the shin bone connected to the ankle bone, the ankle bone connected to the heel bone, the heel bone connected to the foot bone, the foot bone connected to the toe bone. We're all connected, right? Now, I'd listen to that as a kid. I'd try to memorize that and sing it, and they'd all say, them bones, them bones, going to walk around, they come together, and then they had background sounds. And you know what the background sound was? It was from what was happening right here. A noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together. Bone to bone. He was preaching the Word of God, and these bones that were all scattered started to connect in place. Now, that would have been a pretty cool scene. Or a really scary one. Ooh. Those bones. Maybe you should, I'm out. But he witnessed what God was doing amidst this valley of dry bones. Bringing them together and connecting them one bone to another. And so Ezekiel's standing in front preaching this. But then it says that there was no breath in them. I want you to know something. And I believe this is a word for the church today. The bones coming together can be a lot 
that has to do with order and organization. And you can't have it come to life if there's not order and organization, bone to bone. But you can still have order and organization in churches. It can be purring really good, a lot of good leadership, hierarchy, people involved doing their ministries, other kinds of projects, programs happening all over the place, and it can still be dead. Because a skeleton does not have life in it. And so the Word of God goes first to be able to bring order and organization to your chaos in your valley. And the chaos in our nation needs to hear the Word of God. And it may not be somebody needs to get on TV and preach more. It may be that you need to speak the Word of God to somebody in your workplace that is in a place of dryness. Take the chance. The Word goes first. Order and organization, but we are still in a predicament that the bones do not have life. There is no breath in them. And so verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign lords. Come, breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet a vast army. That would have been incredible. Revival? Why revival, Terry's? Why do we pray for revival? Why do we hunger for revival? Why do we set ourselves before God to be open to His blessing? Is because it's an incredible thing to see God take death and bring life. And it can happen in the church. It can happen in this church. It can happen in our nation. Do you have divine belief in the power of God to breathe life into the situations that we have in us? We can get cantankerous. We can get judgmental. We can get perturbed with what we see going on. But where are we going with it? Are we looking to bring the word of God, to bring some order, and then pray to God, sovereign almighty, that his winds and his breath would bring life to the dead bones? around us in our nation. That's where God's called my heart to pray and not get so caught up in indignation with some of the drift that I see in a woke culture. I'm praying for revival as surely as those mentoring people like a Leonard Ravenhill in my early years did. Are you? Do you believe the bones can come to life It's the breath of God that needs to spark and take place. But do you believe? Well, he hasn't showed up a lot. Well, he may be waiting for the bones to get a little bit drier. There's no question about that. We cannot bring about revival, but we can place ourselves in line for revival if God so chooses to give breath. By ordering and organizing our life according to his word, If you're living in disobedience to God's word this morning, then I don't know why you would ever expect revival to come your way. He preached the word. And God said, speak for breath. And God answered. And those bones that came together had muscle and tendons and flesh and life and they rose up. And it was an awesome army. That prophecy to the Israelites was a prophecy that was given millenniums ago. And people often wonder, did God answer that? Did God answer that for the nation of Israel? Verse 12, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, 
will know that I am the Lord and I will open the graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Friends, this is not ancient history. I was spending a little time talking with Mike Bartell, who is a Jewish uh, uh, believer in Jesus. He's a part, core part of our church. And he spends a lot of time doing ministry with people back and forth in Israel. And he stays up late at night sometimes. And then some of his dialogues because of the time change. And we were talking about, is this true that Israelite, uh, the is- Israel uh, that was known, the Jewish people, that they have been brought back? And when did that happen? And, and some people believe the prophetic words of these bones coming to life happened, happened uh, on the uh, other side of the Babylonian captivity when another nation took over and then that king allowed some of them to go back into their homeland. And that very well could have been uh, what was expected as, as part of that prophetic word. But are you mindful of this? And there's a lot of subject talk about Israel sometimes. And it's like, what should our position be with Israel? But until 1948, Israel was not a nation. That's in some of your lifetimes. And God on the heels of uh, World War II through the orchestration of uh, United Nations, the League of Nations before that, and so Israel had its own property land and they were scattered for all those years. The movement of Zionism started to happen in the late 1800s and people started to come back to the land. But even Mark Twain, he said he went and visited there and it was a desolate place, barren. You couldn't find any Jewish people in that area much. These people started to come back. And then as, as uh, modern events happened, Israel became a nation. And then in 67, there was another brief seven-day war or whatever. And this is, this is front-page news. And, and you're like, well, should, is God really with Israel anymore? Isn't the church now the new Jewish, the, the Israel is kind? Well, you can have all those discussions, but I'm stepping back and I'm watching this historical activity. And some of you are into prophetic words uh, or the prophecy. And you're like, wow, that's, pretty, that's a lot of time. But the bones came to back together. And there's this nation of Israel, the Jewish people. Actually, today is the, the Jewish New Year is today, first day of the year. I believe God still has a plan for the Jewish people. And there's many Jewish people that are coming to know Jesus Christ, even though they're not verbal and vocal about it. They're realizing he was the Messiah. Little sidetrack there, but it has to do this prophecy about bones coming to life. It's still in process with God. Don't give up on America. Don't give up on the evangelical church. Don't give up on the valley of dry bones that you're walking around in life. God can make that which is dead come to life. Why does revival tarry? There's a lack of spiritual hunger. But I also believe there's a lack of divine belief that God can make the dead rise. You know, ultimately with God, who created each one of us in his very breath, breathed into the dust, life in Genesis. His very Holy Spirit in our men's group on Saturdays, 8 a.m., if you want to come, we're walking through Acts. And we were in Acts 2 yesterday about when the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, came upon the people on the day of Pentecost and they were awakened. That breath of God, His life, is active today. And he wants to be active in your life, even here this morning, if you'll let him. Let your life be ordered and organized by the word of God. And then cry out to him for his breath to make you spiritually alive like you've never experienced before. Why revival tarries a lack of spiritual hunger, a lack of divine belief. Lord, there must be more. Maybe this is our statement for this week. Lord, breathe life in the bones. As the Lord would have it, we're going to close with a special song from Lauren Daigle. 
has a song about bone. And it's placed over a beautiful rendition of the story that you just heard. I want you to watch this video and then I'm going to pray. If there's work to be done here today in your life, give yourself to Lord Jesus Christ. Let God work. Don't be indifferent or lack belief anymore. ushers to take their place to be able to come and receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as your connect cards on the back of that connect card as a place to mark I want to know Jesus have a relationship with him a lot of the deadness that comes is because we've fallen into religion and we've walked away from that relationship Israel had religion. 
but they didn't have the relationship. For you to have a relationship with Christ or to have interest in growing spiritually, take an initiative to reach out. Places on the back of that card to mark both those. We will follow up with you and encourage you. But as we walk through these weeks, I want to give you opportunities to respond in the ways that you feel led to respond. We have the prayer areas up front for you to come and pray by yourself or if you want to pray with somebody personally over on this side, there'll be people standing there that would be more than glad to pray with you. Maybe it's just picking up the phone this week, talking to someone. Maybe it's being transparent in your own life with where you're at. I think it's always hard to be vulnerable spiritually sometimes. Get people around you praying for you because those dead bones can come to life for the sovereign glory of God. Will you stand with me? I want to just send us off with a word of benediction. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within the church. May you go forth under the breath of the Holy Spirit to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission this week. May you see dead bones live for the glory of God. God bless.